0: Welcome to the Keller Williams Realty Van Central Podcast. Real talk with real agents, featuring Connie Buna
1: and Roland Kim. Hey everybody, Connie Buna here, managing broker with Keller Williams Realty Van Central.
0: And Roland Kim, operating principal.
1: Friends, we're going to talk a little bit about a number of topics that relate to your business practice and your trade practice. And so I will say this caveat because we have lots of folks from uh, from various brokerages potentially listening, in. this content has been produced predominantly with our agents in mind. So this is advice coming directly from their own managing broker. But if you're listening from another brokerage, this is simply just a reminder that any information that I'm sharing should always be checked through your own managing broker. So Please do make sure that any information you are receiving here, you understand, is directed to agents at our brokerage. Let's dive in, Roland. I want to talk about so many exciting topics as it relates to a thriving real estate career.
0: What are we going to start with?
1: Let's start with six steps of good decision making. So the Real Estate Council of BC actually produced, I think, a phenomenal sort of checklist Of Six steps to good decision-making in using your professional judgment to analyze, assess, and take action on a number of situations that could occur. And it was, for me, a very powerful reminder. In fact, I've printed off and put up around the brokerage this document (laughs) specifically because I just feel like if everybody had a copy of this at their desk and or internalized to understand best practices, it would be a really amazing way that we might shift handling all kinds of different instances that come across our plates. So as we're looking through the six steps of good decision-making, we have step number one, which is identify the situation. So assessing the situation and considering the issue at hand in a variety of ways, obviously an important step. Asking yourself who's involved And who you are representing in a transaction. Also, I think a very important step. And then thirdly, under that category of identifying, asking yourself what resources you may need to gather in order to ensure you have all of the necessary facts.
0: In doing that, you probably might discover that what you thought was the problem is not the only problem, not Mm -hmm. the main problem.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it's interesting when we start to think about even just the the idea of gathering necessary facts, not only might you identify other issues and other concerns, you may find a solution. As opposed to needing to engage or involve other people, you may actually find the answer to the the quandary at hand. As we think about gathering the facts, we're using our identified resources to gather information from relevant parties— such as other real estate professionals and clients. So, you know, we do want to make sure that, and I I know that for us, we've talked many times about that it is now a standard of practice for us to do documentation of these communications and ensuring that, you know, critical pieces of information that are conveyed potentially verbally are summarized in written format, just so that there's a record of the interaction. The other thing that I've really gotten involved in in doing for myself, as well as, of course, for the agents in the office when they have questions, is to really look at the resources available. I know recently the Real Estate Council relaunched their external as well as internal websites. And the change of user experience on the website has made it that it used to be that you had to kind of go into other like external documents to access do you remember the, the the trading practice manual?
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a hunt sometimes to and, find and things.
1: And you literally had a paper binder. Yeah. You had a paper binder for, you know, helping you find particular clauses yeah. or helping you understand, you know, what kind of information might be gathered if it was an unusual transaction. And the and the interface now online at the council is is really geared toward giving you great information mm-hmm. and also making sure that you understand. This isn't the be-all and end-all of, of information. There will be other areas where we need to go or people that we need to engage to actually find an appropriate answer. But the Real Estate Council of BC's resources are phenomenal. In addition to those resources, we know at the brokerage level, we have amazing resources. And I know, I'm not sure about your experience. I know in my experience, in most of the brokerages that I've had the pleasure of working in, Brokerages often will have their own sort of portfolio of resources mm-hmm. to a variety of degrees of sort of detail, you know, but it is not unusual for a brokerage to have their own protocols in place and resource of materials available. And then over and above that, as you're gathering the facts, consideration of the complexities or the risks for both your client and the brokerage, always coming again at these quandaries from the lens of like, number one, how do I provide Excellent service? How do I maintain my fiduciary responsibilities of agency? How do I protect the best interests of my client? Understanding that that's a fundamental principle of my relationship of agency. And then over and above that, how am I making sure that I'm protected and the brokerage is protected from exposure? Should I not be actually following correct protocols? Having all of that information available to you as you then as step three comes into play, review all of the information available. This might be an amazing opportunity here to think about the scenario from a bird's eye perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about using this tool as a you know decision-making model for a more simple decision that's not related to um, a big trade problem, I find by the time you've gathered the facts and you're reviewing it, you're often discovering what you could have done better. Mm-hmm. Like maybe... Um, if I hadn't have responded in this way, or if I had done this, or, mm. you know, we'd have a better outcome. Yeah. And so if you actually were to identify and make sure you understand what all the problems are, gather the facts and then review it, often at that moment, if, if we're involved with giving coaching to a coaching member or a realtor, they almost have a little bit of self-discovery mm-hmm. where they're like, you know, they might not tell us, but you can see in their eyes that they've discovered where they can improve.
1: Absolutely. And it's something that I've heard time and time again, which is, experiences are not what teach you and what actually help you evolve. It's reflected on mm. experience that moves you forward, elevates you professionally, elevates you personally.
0: Well, wasn't there a really good book that was focused about thinking time? We don't spend enough <laughs> yeah. of our own time that's you know thinking about the actions yeah, and that's what right. you're doing.
1: I believe the title of the book was Road Less Stupid. The Road Less Stupid. And, and it was all about spending time and committing to yourself to spend time reviewing and analyzing successes and failures. And so again, when we're thinking about the six steps to decision-making and step number four comes that analysis step, this is the opportunity for reflection. And as you identified, I think really powerfully, I believe we can always find ways where we might have improved We might have done something differently. We know that in our business, a lot of our conversations are happening in the moment. With more analysis, I believe we can build in better scripts, better systems, better practices to help us not repeat common mistakes. Mm -hmm. Common mistakes, like I'm thinking about a very common issue, like making a response on behalf of a client before checking with the client. Yeah. How many of us do this? Yeah. And how many times have you seen that particular, oh no, my client's not going to do that?
0: Well, an easy one right now that I went through is, you know, initially my clients, we were the sellers. We negotiated on a deal and the dates that we got were the ones we wanted. And then later the buyer came back and asked for dates that previously weren't in the window that my client wants. And in my head, I was thinking, well, no, they don't want this. You know, they said no to it and you were in multiples and you gave them the dates that they wanted. But of course I did my job. I went back to them and said, you know, it's just my job to bring this to you. They've requested mm-hmm. the 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 mid-October dates that previously didn't work and you don't have to change. I just needed to bring it to your attention. And they were ecstatic because their situation had changed and they're like, those dates actually work for us now.
1: Amazing. And so that for me is such a powerful example where I think part of good decision-making is removing your ego Mm -hmm. and understanding that it's very often not your decision to make as the agent. Yes. It's the client's decision to make. And one of the things I say to my clients as a, a very standard script in our initial consultations and conversations is my job is to not make decisions for you. I'm a conduit of information. I'm an advisor. I'll give you my professional advice. However, you will instruct me on how we will proceed for any action, including something as simple as access requests or date changes or deficiency repairs.
0: Masri Notary Corporation is a full-service notary practice centrally located in Vancouver and has been serving the community for almost 20 years. At Masri Notary, we have two notaries and take great pleasure in always being available to help our clients. We handle real estate purchases, sales, and mortgage refinancing. We also offer planning documents such as wills, powers of attorney, and healthcare rep agreements. Reach out and book a free consultation today. You can find us at MasryNotary.com. It's amazing. Like, if everyone could take that approach where you're a professional, where I have a resource of skills and knowledge, but you're instructing me based on what I'm providing you, and then you're instructing me, then what you do really, really well doesn't feel as awkward as it might for a lot of other realtors, which is, you know, a client might say, oh, I don't need an inspection. It's a five-year-old building. And you just provide them with, there's still risks. I still need to advise you to get an inspection. And then they are directing us that they don't want an inspection. And then it's really easy to say, you know what? I'm just going to summarize this conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we're both on the same page. And you can get that documented and then email it to them. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel like, um, hey, why is my agent sending me this information that feels like they're not on board?
1: Mm -hmm. Because
0: you're actually reiterating what they instructed you. Yes. Thereby confirming Mm -hmm. and thereby protecting yourself and protecting the client that you're you know, you're listening to each other.
1: Exactly. And it is, you know, an important part of that decision-making process to ensure that everybody's walked away from the conversation understanding the same things. And so often that summary can be an opportunity also to say, oh, wait a minute. No, thank you for summarizing that in this way. It allowed me to to think about it a little bit further. And actually, maybe this is the course of action I want to take. So in terms of going back to the six steps of good decision-making, we're at Step five, which is to consult. So one of the things that I think is really, really powerful as we're thinking about decision-making and using professional judgment is we don't need to be making decisions alone. Mm-hmm. Even those of us that have many years of experience and you know, many hundreds of transactions under our belt, there are always instances where, and so often instances where, I know for myself personally, I take great comfort in picking up the phone and calling you or calling Lynn or other folks that work in our office environment that are my peers and my respected colleagues and, you know, partner brokers to run a scenario by them. Because another thing that I have discovered and that I know that we've talked about many times is that sometimes when you're involved in the transaction, you're not necessarily looking at it from all angles. Mm -hmm. You, You have blind spots. We all have blind spots. So the idea that you bring in another advisor, whether that be your managing broker, whether that be a professional standards advisor... Whether that be a lawyer, be, you know, advising your client to speak with a professional, a lawyer, an accountant, a, a, an inspector, these people should be assisting us in ensuring the best outcome for the client. And that's ultimately the goal, mm-hmm. is what's the best outcome for our clients. And so really making sure that we are consulting with the appropriate people and always keeping the appropriate people in the loop so that we're not just making a knee jerk reaction response but rather a calculated considered and carefully prepared response
0: yeah and i mean at this point even though you're at the you know the second last step of the six steps it's actually if the consultation isn't done correctly and if the right information's not sought yes here's another point where problems start mm-hmm. so imagine like an inspections happened and you know there was some confusion or questions about foundation or structural Integrity and instead of slowing it down and bringing the consultation of a structural engineer, you just kind of moved on. And Mm -hmm. then someone closes on the deal, takes possession of the home. And you know, there's issues that had we actually consulted an engineer, would have been solved. And now you have a whole new set of problems that you gotta make decisions on.
1: Hugely powerful point around the idea of slowing things down, slowing the process down. And in fact, step six is that decision-making point, right? Using your five foundations of professional judgment, which are using your ethics, using your knowledge base, using your experience, using the client's circumstances, as well as your professional obligations, you need to make a good decision. And sometimes that good decision looks like we don't have enough information, actually. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough information to move forward. You know, we can get swept up, I think it's it's not uncommon to get swept up in the emotion and the pace sometimes of the market. Things can feel busy and competitive. Things can feel very, very challenging. We might have written multiple times with a client and now we finally have an offer that is looking like it's going to be accepted and we want to help them get that purchase done. And And we also want to balance that with making sure that they're going through with that transaction with eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. And I think about that not only from the perspective of our buyer clients, but also from the perspective of our seller clients. Have we as listing agents ensured that we've done all of the diligence required such that the presentation of that listing is accurate, is complete? Do they understand the risks or ramifications contained in not just the standard template contract and the boilerplate language in the contract, But over and above that, any other additional representations and warranties included in the terms and conditions, how often are we sitting down with our sellers, you know, in multiple offer situations, for example, and going through that contract line by line with them and explaining to them the impacts that the contract has, you know, the the fundamental requirement to clear title, free and clear of all financial encumbrances, for example, and really understanding what that looks like for them? Have we had those conversations with them? And, you know, it really does make me think about all of the ways that we can continue to improve our trading practice. But certainly this framework I have found to be a very, very simple, straightforward way to make professional and good decisions. Mm -hmm. And so if you are looking for a copy of that resource We have one available in the shared Google Drive, and you can also find a copy of that resource on the Real Estate Council of BC's website. Awesome. Moving forward from here, I Mm -hmm. wanted to also talk a little bit about, as we're in the spirit of professionalism, good decision-making, I wanted to talk about taking ownership of your career and the concept of are you a passenger in this career or are you in the driver's seat? I think about the ways that, for example, when we deal as as owners and brokers with agents who are in the process of newly licensing and or re-licensing, how often we need to be reminding them of not just the sort of mandatory PDP hours required for them, which is just the bare minimum, but also the the council courses and additional accreditations that you can achieve. In your experience, Roland, can you share whether or not you feel there's any value in doing anything more than just sort of the bare minimum?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest value I've discovered over the years is if you're only doing the bare minimum, even the bare minimum is hard to get done and feels overwhelming and you're not taking any of it in because you're just, um, it's like you know, getting your taxes done on the last day of the time that before sending it in, it's going to be less complete than if you spent two months doing it. Mm. And so Where I think, you know, even without consciously planning on it, where we've moved to and migrated to you and I is we're constantly learning and doing courses and investing into ourselves. And so it's just like fitness, breathing. It's just part of our week, part of our month. And so, you know, when you think of how many meetings we go into, how many training seminars, how many things we teach and learn, we do a lot. Mm -hmm. And yet it feels less overwhelming than it did early in my career when I didn't do much. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think a lot of agents don't set the time aside to first of all, make sure that all the courses that they need in order to keep their you know their professional license and good standing is done. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then they're always on the heels of their profession. And often those are the people that are going through legal update and they're yes. like, I didn't learn anything. That was such a not. That was a good use of time. And every time I do legal update and I do it every year, mm-hmm. um, I'm more scared, more concerned, <laughs> and I've learned so much. Yes, right. And yes. and the cool part about the courses at our board, I've not literally not done one course that I haven't thought was amazing value. Mm-hmm. And yet I talk to people right beside me that didn't get the same experience, and I believe that they aren't setting time aside to invest into their business.
1: Speaking about six steps of great decision making, I think it's a natural segue to talk a little bit about how you deal with things when something is going sideways. So conflict. How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with complaints? How do you address these concerns? And so I think a, an important topic of conversation for all agents mm-hmm. to acknowledge and understand that complaints happen conflict happens. This is something that is, I hate to say natural, but it is, it's a human behavior and it is an inevitability in our business and in our practice that there are going to be situations of discontent. And how you manage those situations will define your experience through the process and potentially the outcome. Mm -hmm. So we know we can't often control outcome that's sometimes outside of our control. Because there's a variety of variables at play, some of which we control and many of which we do not, which Mm -hmm. is that there are many other people involved in any given transaction and we cannot control the outcomes of other people. But what we can handle is how we deal with complaints, concerns, and issues that are brought up before, after, during transactions, and so if, if we could spend some time there, I think that that's a really important conversation piece for our agents to understand how to effectively manage concerns, disputes, and issues.
0: Yeah, and where you started there about you can't control the outcome necessarily, you can definitely influence a worse outcome Yes, by not starting right. You yes. know? So it's like, if you think of when a problem comes across your desk, if you're the type of person that avoids that email or that returning that phone call. And you think by, you know, letting a week slip that, um, you know, you've kind of forgotten about it and you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not helping, right? No. You got to dig into it and then give time where you're going to focus on it and figure out what you can control in order to take the first steps.
1: Totally. So, I mean, I've pulled off and it was amazing. There's so many resources available, but this was just sort of five tips to great dispute resolution. And Tip number one, don't run from the conflict. And I've heard other professionals say this very thing. I remember in a training session with, I think it was with Gene Rivers potentially. He was an amazing professional uh, based down in uh, Florida. And he was talking about how when he does his follow-up calls with clients, he actually welcomes or embraces that there's some sort of a challenge or a problem that he can solve for them. He loves being in that position of being helpful, of being a problem solver for their for his clients. And so the idea of not running from conflict, I think is super powerful. One of the things you addressed is the idea of letting something sit for too long. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an important counterbalance to that, which is be mindful to not respond impulsively. Yes. Take a minute, if you receive a notation or an email or a text and it creates an emotional response in you, and you feel your stress levels elevate, it might be a reminder for you to take a deep breath and think about what your response is going to be before you actually engage in a response because we don't want to be dealing with conflict. And as you said, you can certainly influence an outcome to be actually worse than what it might have been. Mm -hmm. And so knee-jerk reactions, combative reactions might actually exacerbate the problem, in fact. Sort of point number two around dispute resolution is the idea of understanding everyone's position. And, you know, that's sort of a fundamental tenet of our organization is this idea of win-win negotiations, of seeking first to understand before speaking. So really understanding the concern, I believe, involves something more than likely like a text or email thread communication. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk a lot about good communication style. And one of the things that I have always been a fan of is let's get together. Let's get face to face and let's have a conversation about what your issues are because I want to hear them. I want to document them and I want to make sure I completely understand the scenario at play and then we can take action on resolving it. So really, really helping to solve that problem by understanding everybody's position?
0: So understanding everyone's position is kind of similar to gathering all the facts. And what I find from that is, one, it really frames what the situation is. Mm-hmm. And what you can grab from it is positions that you can't move off of, you know? And so it also allows you to see what, you know, what the other person can't move off of. Mm-hmm. And then you understand what are the easy ones to negotiate, right? Yes. And work on on the items that are malleable, that are easily, um, You know, worked on, and then you have uh, you're so much further into dealing with the conflict Mm -hmm. because you're you're starting to neutralize some parts of it.
1: Yeah. Item number three, third tip around good dispute resolution tips, is view conflict as an opportunity for growth, Mm -hmm. and that's a hard one to digest. I think it's a hard one. I know myself personally. I I am working on better receiving. Critical feedback, I do not enjoy conflict. I find it unsettling. And it is a lifelong process, I think, to regard that conflict as an opportunity to learn and to grow. And it's true. There might be a scenario where, as we talked about previously, when we're in that analysis phase of good decision-making and we're in our analysis phase of whatever the concern is that we're trying to resolve, where we realize, actually, I probably could have done X, Y, or Z differently. And where do I improve my system and my structure and my, my professional judgment such that I don't make that mistake again?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's often not until uh, a conflict occurs that you recognize steps in your system aren't the best and that you're doing some things that are causing problems. Yes. So if that conflict hadn't happened, you might have spent how many more years doing the same thing? Yes. Thinking, oh, you know, there's less problems, but there's actually more potential problems out there.
1: Can you think of a situation that, uh, in your own experience, that you kind of saw a pattern, a conflict pattern?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, for the longest time, early in my career, it was always that, uh, you know, pet peeve of uh, cleanliness of a of a property when you yes, when you perfect exchange example exchange it. And so, you know, early in my career, where the idea of as a buyer's agent or listing agent, it's not my job to pay three hundred dollars to clean a client's home. And so often, if I was on the buying side you know, and I'd go into a property and it wasn't as clean as, you know, as I felt was reasonable. And early, early on, I wouldn't even talk to the listing agent because I was so, you know, uncomfortable with conflict. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as conflict and I would deflect it. And if I really needed to address it, I would resolve it myself. Whereas now it's, I just expect that, you know, everyone has a different cleaning standard. And and when that comes up, we have a conversation with our client to figure out, you know, what their ideal solution would be. You know, we talk to the other cooperating agent and figure out what they would like to have happen. And in a perfect world, you know, make the folks responsible, resolve it. And often it's, you know, those people will want to resolve it because they were in a hurry and they know they didn't do the best job, but they're also hoping just to move on. Yes. You know, we look at it as an opportunity. So... I'm not always looking to go to my pocketbook, but at the same time, relationships are memorable when they have something to resolve. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, the cleaning one comes up so often where the buyer side doesn't feel it's clean enough. The listing side feels they've done the steps and the realtors can either make that into a really crunchy experience mm-hmm. or it can just be an opportunity to show that you're a professional and you yes. got it resolved.
1: Absolutely. You know, and you brought up a, a good point, which is involving all of the participants in the solution as a really important step for dispute resolution. You know, there are many instances that we can just you know, let's solve the problem right away. However, you know we're we're potentially not allowing us to or we're not allowing the scenario to help another colleague improve their own system, For example, something as simple as, you know, ensuring that you're communicating effectively to your seller client that there is a responsibility that the property be delivered in a clean and tidy condition. Mm-hmm. And that's often embedded contractually right in the contract. And you're right, everyone does have a different standard. And so it's, again, it's our job to very detailed explain what a standard looks like. So, you know, it would be important that similar to understanding the difference between fixtures and chattels and and making sure your clients understand what does stay in the home and what is okay to be taken away. Everybody has sort of different, it's interesting, but there's so many different ways that people think about and regard those two distinctions. But involving the participants in the solution also provides an opportunity that, you know, we could be, again, reflecting on an experience and potentially improving for the next interaction. And then finally, and this is something that I often have to think about and remember and hold true, stay calm, focus on the problem. So again, not allowing your emotions to elevate and your emotions to dictate your actions, but rather coming from a grounded place of calm Mm -hmm. to resolve the issue. Think of removing your emotion or as best as possible neutralizing your emotion before moving forward into that decision-making process is so powerful and so, so helpful.
0: We are on your team. Whether your team is you and your dog, or a team of 10 real estate professionals. The Home Happy Team is here to enhance your client's experience. We take care of the financing side of the real estate equation, reducing their stress through a team approach of experience, technology, and communication. Your client experiences a lot when buying a home. Make sure it's a great one they will remember by introducing them to Michael Lloyd and the Home Happy Team for their mortgage needs. Totally. Those were some great points where, you know, you're indicating that in your career, your profession has, or your activities, your steps have evolved. Can you think of maybe one or two places that you could tell us about where your systems have improved over your career?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think about what are the situations that come up that like can pretty commonly create some conflict. We've touched on the delivery of the property. a so that's a hot one. <laughs> Another one is access. Yes. Access requests. So understanding and setting expectations, I think is always the most powerful. So first and foremost, I've now just embedded in my contract access requests. Following
0: subject removal?
1: Following subject removal. So in the period of time after subject removal, prior to completion, what we've learned over time is that very, very commonly client wants to come in. As a listing agent, again, I am not doing my full duty. If I don't explain that, to my seller when we're looking at the offer. Mm -hmm. Roland, as we're reviewing the offer together, I do want to point out that the buyer's requesting two more access requests. So if we sign this agreement today after subject removal, they do have the opportunity to come back to the property on two more occasions. Would you like to add any further detail to this section of the contract would you like to put a limitation on the amount of time that they're in the home? I mean, sometimes those clauses are written very, very ambiguously or, mm-hmm. you know, with with lots of, you know, room for uh, guesswork. The worst types of clauses written in contracts. And so, you know, again, there's an opportunity there to set some expectations. And I just always find it one of the things I've learned over time is that if we talk about it early, yes, then when we're dealing with the ask or the request, We can go back to, remember when we talked about that they had two access requests, here's what's going to happen. You do not have to leave. I will be there or someone from my team will be there. They will be there for only, as we indicated in the contract, 30 minutes. You know, I often also try to ensure that that person understands, hey, you know, when we go out and buy you a home, you'll probably want to do that too. Mm -hmm. Because it's so interesting how people can get, you know, once the deal is firm And we're pending completion, they just like, they don't want to deal anymore. And I think there's a natural arc of emotion that happens where they're tired.
0: Yeah. And they might feel like, first of all, the fact that you really bring up there is don't assume as a professional that anything in the contract is basic and obvious and that the other person would agree to it and know it, your client. Because you're definitely right. That access point, I have had situations where a client, won't let the person back in mm-hmm. where I failed to do a really good job initially of explaining that that is in the contract and yes. here are the boundaries. And this is why we have it, yes. you know, and you would want the same when you're buying a home.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, and
0: in that case, it was because the seller it had been such a long time frame between subject removal and possession that the market had gone up a lot oh. and the seller felt like, you know, they sold too early. Yes. And so it was just an emotional decision. In the end, we got it sorted, but it was a lot of work. Yes. In order just to get access for half an hour.
1: Yes, absolutely. I will share another experience that I had just in, in terms of, you know, from a dispute resolution perspective. I had a an instance in one transaction where I, for whatever reason, it didn't, uh, I missed the fridge in the inclusions. Mm-hmm. I had all of the other appliances and I, I missed the fridge. Mistakes happen. I went through the contract with the client. I can't believe I didn't see that. But that's a pretty significant mistake. And the realtor reached out to me, cooperating listing agent reached out to me to say, hey, Connie, I just I just wanted to check in with you. I only realized this, unfortunately, after the fact. This was after subject removal par- prior to completion. I realized that we actually missed the fridge. Do your clients want the fridge? It was an old fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry. That was a total oversight. But obviously, as you know, the appliances are included in the purchase. So, yes, please let the seller know. And, and the seller decided that they were going to just dig their heels in and they were going to move this old fridge. the old fridge. And so, you know what? That's squarely on my shoulders. Yeah. You know, I called my client, again, just thinking about steps to good decision making, called my client, explained the situation. I said, acknowledging my... Responsibility. I said, you know, this was, this was my error. Mm-hmm. I didn't include this on your contract. My proposal for resolution is I'm going to buy you a new fridge. I'll replace the fridge. This is the picture of the fridge that was there. I'll buy you exactly this fridge. And they were thankfully satisfied with that response.
0: Well, they weren't only satisfied. they were ecstatic. they got a new fridge.
1: They were happy with that. but the the truth of the matter is it was an unfortunate scenario that didn't have to occur. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I think about it often around if there might have been a different way that the the seller for whatever reason just kind of dug their heels in. I think they started getting my understanding from the cooperating agent. We had a very nice rapport. It was a great negotiation. It was a very good all in all a great transaction. Mm-hmm. I think the seller client was receiving communication from some family members to say, you know, get money from them. Mm-hmm. They, they should pay you for that if they didn't include it in the contract. And sort of where I allowed a little bit of an emotional experience to have kind of my own emotional reaction to come into play was I thought to myself, I could pay them, mm-hmm. whatever they're asking. Yes. But it just didn't sit with me. Okay. I just didn't more. So I paid more to get a new fridge. And I don't know if that was the wrong decision, but it was the decision I made. And there was just something about the fact that I just felt like, you know what, I actually now I want to see you move that fridge.
0: You know, (laughs) and I think that's uh, it was worth doing. What I often see when problems come up in that situation is, you know, kind of like you alluded to, it seems unreasonable for the seller to have done that. And on principle and moral, like as not being part of the situation. And I look at that from a high level, it does feel wrong. It feels, mm-hmm. feels like the seller, you know, went beyond what's reasonable. But instead of having gone into, you know, the conflict feeling where you're like, this is unreasonable and focusing on that versus what you did really well of figuring out what you do control and mm-hmm. how you can solve the problem, you spent a lot less time on it. You did spend a little bit of money. But you moved on and you created, you know, an ambassador in that client versus, uh, you know, digging in with the client saying how unreasonable that is and the seller's a so-and-so and and like this, you know, like let's talk to a lawyer. Yes. Um, And that's so much energy that would have been invested in the wrong area.
1: I remember when we had a conversation about it, actually, I called you to, as I would, this kind of a crazy scenario and I was, I wanted to get your opinion. And you said to me, is it advertised in MLS as including the fridge. I said, of course, it's advertised in MLS as including the fridge. It's normal transaction. And you said, well, the, the listing agent should help you pay, pay half of it. And I thought to myself, yeah, that, there, is, there is something. There's a, there's a legitimate point there. And I, there might have been a decision where I could have gone in that direction, but it just didn't sit with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I trusted that, that the cooperating agent, the listing agent was doing his best to have conversations trying to, you know, kind of speak reasonably to the seller who was obviously just digging their heels in and I didn't want to get into uh I didn't want to get into a conflict with a with a cooperating agent that up until this point had actually been phenomenal to work with not that this matters in terms of decision making but it mattered to me that he was a and is an agent that I respect and expect that we will likely do a transaction together again and so I didn't want there to be that um, negative experience and it was my error Mm -hmm. and so while I don't agree you're right I I don't agree with the decision that the seller made there in that that circumstance it was it was truly my my responsibility and my error squarely on my shoulders so anyway always learning always growing
0: how do you deal with things when they really go wrong though
1: I try to neutralize things as quickly as possible. And so what that looks like is ensuring that my client knows that I hear them, Mm -hmm. that I will do everything in my power to remedy their concern, and that I'm on it. So I think that really making sure that you're on top of those communication points right away helps the process immensely. I think for lots of people, they just want to know that someone is helping them they're being heard. That they're being heard. And so I know that for myself, my first step is always, can I resolve this on my own? Mm -hmm. Do we need to involve any other parties? Mm -hmm. So is this a situation, for example, where actually we might need to be getting like legal guidance or advice? Is this a conflict that is between the buyers and sellers themselves? Or is this a conflict that's related more to potentially the personalities of the agents cooperating together? And then I think about where that course of action is. So, for example, we've had many instances where everybody's, there's all kinds of personalities in our business. And there might be a scenario where you're dealing with a personality that is potentially combative, avoidant. You know, I've called so-and-so 17 times. They won't return my phone. I'm I'm just trying to get some answers and I can't get through. What do I do next? And so it, it's a, a important reminder, I think, for all of us, but certainly for all of the agents in the office to really understand that there are protocols in place in our profession to understanding the steps to dispute resolution and to complaints, actually. And there are circumstances, and I believe we do have actually a professional obligation to hold each other to a high standard, to the highest standard, actually. And in some circumstances, it's appropriate, actually, to escalate a complaint against a licensee where you know they have conducted themselves in a manner that is unbecoming. Mm -hmm. And what are those steps? Those steps look like, certainly, first and foremost, having a conversation with your managing broker. So having a conversation with myself, with Lynn at the office here to really make sure that we understand the full scope of the situation, As a point of protocol, typically speaking, if you're not able to resolve a a situation or a conflict with a licensee yourself, just one-to-one, it's not appropriate for you to reach out to that licensee's managing broker. That would be an inappropriate action or step. It should come from our office, Mm -hmm. managing broker to managing broker. So I know that most of the managing broker colleagues that I know won't take calls from other licensees. Mm -hmm. And that's simply just a matter of protocol. And so at that stage, at the brokerage stage, we certainly do our very, very best between brokers to, again, follow these steps around using professional judgment as well as dispute resolution to see if we might be able to strike a resolution. And if we can't strike a resolution, and again, I'm dealing specifically with a conflict that relates to licensees having a conflict with one another, we take that conflict to the board. Mm -hmm. And there is a committee at the board to address standards and conflicts. And, you know, obviously it's not often a situation we want to get to. However, there are circumstances where folks need to be, agents need to be held accountable and they may need to be reprimanded by their peers for actions that are, that are unbecoming.
0: Great description and, and pathway overview. I love that. Thank you. I had a visual about, um, two visuals. One is, you know, before you want to complain on someone else and dig into what they did wrong... Think of it as like, okay, if you're going to put a flashlight in their closet, they get to put a flashlight in your closet. So Mm -hmm. that goes both ways on the contract. Mm -hmm. What could you have done better? And the other visual I have is um, of my kids, one running inside saying, you know, Justin hit me. And it's never that simple. Like you actually want to dig into this? Okay, like who, what happened? And then in the end, everyone has a little bit of fault, right? If you remember that when you get emotionally charged, it may stop you from investing time and stirring, you know, an ant's nest when you don't need to. Absolutely. Because rarely in our experience is a problem one-sided.
1: Fantastic, Roland. So today we talked about six steps to great decision-making and dispute resolution steps. And it's always a pleasure to chat with you, partner. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Have a great day.